the Lax Factor Podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? You're watching episode 159 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. You might be listening. I'm not sure. we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. Conference tournaments are in full swing here. So we've got Michigan, Maryland, Hopkins, Rutgers. We've got the CAA tournament to talk about. We have the America East tournament to talk about. We have, we're going to talk about every tournament. We're even going to get into the MAC a little bit. Uh, I got chirped by someone via email. I tried to email that person back, a very thoughtful response, and it didn't, it, it bounced as they had typed their email address wrong, but I did get chirped for being mean to the Mac. It was kind of an inside joke gone wrong, but we'll talk about them today as well. As always, before we get into all this crap, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Just like and subscribe. We're trying to get over 10,000 subscribers, and we've we've kind of picked up some pace lately. We're at like 95 and change right now, 9,500, uh, but you can always go to laxfactor.com, support us beyond that. So let's get right into this here. Michigan and Maryland. It wasn't all that eventful. Michigan, they come out with fire, and they scored the game first two goals but from there Jared Bernhardt went off almost outscored the Wolverines by himself and he did if you count his assists at least the goals that he factored in he outscored uh, Michigan by himself and Maryland will advance to the Big Ten finals to take on Hopkins who won the other semifinal so Bernhardt he finishes this game with eight goals and two helpers he only took 12 shots Michigan's defense looked like a JV squad at times, trying to trying to mark him, trying to cover him. It's impossible. He's just too good. I want to see him. I cannot wait to see Bernhardt play against either some of these ACC teams or any other team, for that matter, that's not a Big Ten team. I would love to see. There's been a lot of people popping off about Maryland not being good. Now, I'm in the camp that would uh, posit that the Big Ten is down this year. That, that Between Hopkins and Michigan, even Rutgers with the success they had, I would have liked to have seen Rutgers and just seen how that success translated outside of the Big Ten. Uh, so I'm not, I am in the camp that the Big Ten wasn't as strong this year as they have, in, have been in the past. I am not of the mind that Maryland is down. Maryland is every bit as good as they've been. I think that Maryland is legitimately, if not the best team in the country, easily one of the top three best teams in the country and I think they will absolutely hold their own against ACC teams or any other teams for that matter so I kind of want Bernhardt and Maryland to prove that's the case because even ACC fans have been chirping the Big Ten and Big Ten's chirping the ACC it's like listen the ACC is the best conference in lacrosse the deepest conference in lacrosse the worst team in the ACC beat the crap out of the best teams in the America East let's say now I'm not saying Cuse would do that to all the teams in the Big Ten. But Cuse would beat the, the the lower half of the Big Ten probably handily. Like to, I saw someone in the College Across Forum say something about how Michigan would whoop up on Cuse. It's like, probably not. Probably not. The ACC is a little bit more battle-tested. Michigan's only seen the teams in their conference. And granted, most of those teams are better than them. But uh, yeah, I don't know. You know it, it, but I, moral of my story, I cannot wait for Maryland to get to play against some teams that aren't Big Ten teams to see what Jared Bernhardt and company do to them because I bet you it's going to get ugly for sure. Logan Wisnowskis, he uh, put up four helpers in this game. Justin Shockey, he controlled the dot for the Terps, winning 14 of 22, which made possessions hard to come by obviously for Michigan. And then Logan McNaney and Cage, nine saves. That made it tough for Michigan to score even when they got the ball on their end of the field. So Because Michigan's defense is tough too. So, I mean, if it wasn't bad enough that they had to play against Michigan's defense in this day, Shockey won the possession battle. The Michigan ride isn't anything 
uh, you know, I mean, they're they're pretty tough as well. So great day for the Terps. Great day for Jared Bernhardt. He actually surpassed Matt Rambo's career point total in this game as well. So the current number one surpassed the former number one. So all good things for Maryland, and they're going to take on Hopkins in the finals on, I think it's Saturday, because Hopkins beat Rutgers. I mean, come on, guys. Rutgers lacrosse, they're kind of like a sad country song. Every so often, there's happiness to be found with this lacrosse team, but more often than not, their trucks break down, their girlfriend leaves them, and their dog dies. And that's just been the history of this Rutgers program over the last 10 years. No team has spent more time on the outside of the bubble looking in, kind of like that kid looking through a, a, a picture window or a, a display window at a department store, just praying to God that Santa brings him that sweet toy, only to have their hearts broken when the at-large bids are doled out and they don't get one. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be the case here. I think Rutgers gets an at-large bid, but you best believe they are praying that Maryland beats Hopkins in the finals because the last thing that Rutgers wants right now is for Maryland to lose to Hopkins, for Hopkins with a losing record to get into the NCAA tournament, and then Maryland eats that first at-large bid out of their conference, and then Rutgers has to hope. It's just an idea here. You want as few at-large bids given out to good teams as possible, so they definitely want Maryland to beat Hopkins, and then that probably secures their at-large bid, I would presume. But if Maryland loses to Hopkins and Maryland has to take that at-large bid, that's, that's, Rutgers is going to be sweating a little bit. And, I, and even then, they could still get in. I mean, I could see the big maybe getting three. We A lot of people are forgetting that we don't have the Ivies right now. So that's two, sometimes three at-large bids that are available um, that, that would normally get doled out to the Ivies. Usually, the Ivies get two in, and they're not going to this year. So that's two spots that, that other teams will get to grab. But there's a lot of really good teams, and some of them have played outside of conference and done well. So a team like Delaware against a team like Rutgers, Delaware has 10 wins only three losses and the three losses are all to teams with winning records. Rutgers just lost to Hopkins who has a losing record and uh, they've lost to Maryland twice and they don't have really any good quality wins because you know, the teams they beat in the big, none of them are good quality teams. I, I, I don't mean it that way. I just mean RPI wise. They don't look great. The big doesn't look great. So that's going to be rough for them. So uh, let's see here. Now for Hopkins, uh, Jonathan uh, Peshko. I don't know who the I don't know where he came from. I've watched a bunch of Hopkins games. That's the first time I had heard that dude's name called. And I actually watched that game yesterday, and I don't remember hearing that dude's name called. Granted, I was sipping beers and watching it while I watched the kids play, but still. He goes for four goals on the day. D. Simone went for two goals and a helper. Degnan, who has been a very big part of this Hopkins turnaround over the last three games, he had a hat trick for for Hopkins. That dude can just shoot. He, he just has a crazy cannon on him. The guy can snipe from outside. Marcel, uh, Tim Marcel's uh, 12 saves, they were just enough to allow Hopkins to hold on. And then Matt Naruski at the faceoff dot, 18 of 23 at the faceoff dot. And uh, he was a bit too much for Rutgers to overcome since Hopkins' offense has started clicking over their last three games. Hopkins' only shot at getting into the tournament here, as I said, is to beat Maryland on in the finals. They have to. They're, they're like four and eight or something like that. So if they don't beat Maryland, they're done. You have to have a winning record to be eligible for the playoffs. And I don't believe that's changed with COVID. So they've got to beat Maryland. Like I said, Rutgers is praying that they don't. Rutgers is praying that Maryland wins this one so they can eat the first at-large bid in their conference. It would be the only at-large bid given out in their conference. So 
That's it, it makes it a little bit hairy for them. Hop played Maryland to a one goal loss in their last meeting. So Hopkins is liking their chances right now. They have played really tough lacrosse over the last week, 10 days or so. They did get waxed by Rutgers before they started playing good and then beat Penn State and then played Maryland really tough in their last uh, last game of the season. So Hopkins is literally just one game removed from playing tough against Maryland, and they're going to try to do that again. Another good one. In the CAA, Hofstra 10, Delaware 9. It was a dogfight in the CAA semis between these two teams, but the Pride played a bit of takeaway at the end, and they secured the victory. One of the best matchups this year, I think, and I was actually looking forward to this going into the game, was Ryan Tierney against CAA Defenseman of the Year, Owen Grant. Grant won this battle handily, holding Tierney to none points, as my daughter would say. Zero points for Tierney in this game. And uh, But it came at a cost, as is often the case when you devote your resources and especially the resources of your best defender to one guy, to trying to shut down that one guy. You're going to end up popping at the seams in other places on the field, and that was the case. Enter Dylan McIntosh for Hofstra. Kid often injured. He's an often injured vet. He goes for five goals in this game. Only four Hofstra players actually tallied a point in this one, which was pretty incredible to see them pull out the win with only four guys coming up with a point. But when one of those four guys puts up five goals, hey, that's going to be good for you. So Hofstra, they get to advance to the finals, play for a bid, while Delaware is doing some complex-ass math trying to figure out if their 10 wins are good enough for an at-large bid. And the reason... The reason they're having problems and they're sweating it now is the same reason that Rutgers is because UMass, they got waxed by Drexel in the other semis. Not really waxed. 13-8 to eight, Drexel wins this one. They continue their magical ride. It need, They needed nine straight goals at one point against UMass as they broke this game open and cruised to the CAA finals. UMass had jumped out to a five-zip lead, and it looked like, oh, well, hey, Drexel's magical run is over. But they'd chip back. They, they made it reasonable at halftime, but UMass still held the lead in the second half, and then Drexel just continued that run into the third quarter, take over that game, and they win. Sean Donnelly goes for five goals and two helpers. Aiden Cole goes for four goals and an assist, and they pace Drexel in this win. Those guys were huge, and the UMass defense just, it was rough. You know, you got two guys that are just trashing on you that bad. It's a bad look for your defense, so UMass's season is now over. Drexel gets to advance to the finals to take on Hofstra. Like Rutgers, Delaware is hoping Drexel beats Hofstra, because Hofstra, they were like 8 and 5 or so, Delaware 10 and 3. They do not want Hofstra to win that at large bid and then they have to compete against Drexel. Or no, they want Hofstra to win the the um automatic qualifier. They want Hofstra to win the tournament, get the AQ. No, they want Drexel to win and get the AQ because if Hofstra wins that, then they then Delaware and uh, Drexel would be competing for the at-large bid. So once again, just like in the Big Ten, you want the best team in your conference. If you're not the team winning the tournament, you want the best team in your conference to win that tournament so you're not competing against them for the at-large bid down below. So Delaware's got all sorts of math to do here. And it'll be interesting to see if it comes down to like a Delaware on the bubble versus a Rutgers on the bubble. We've seen Delaware play out of conference a little bit. They've done well, 10-3. and three. Their only losses, I believe, were to Hoffs, no, Delaware, maybe Hofstra, or Drexel, Hofstra. I can't remember, but it'll be interesting to see once you get down to the RPI and they, they try to start making considerations for who gets these at-large bids, does Delaware's 
record hold up against Rutgers? Because I'll tell you, most people would tell you that Rutgers is better than Delaware. But in terms of the resume, once you really get down to crunching the numbers and looking at the RPI and you have these computer rankings that come into play, it could change things a little bit. So there's a lot of teams that are going to be sweating it that lost here over the last two days. We get into the America East, Vermont 10, Stony Brook 7, Tommy Burke He's made it tough on America East teams all year, and he repeated that trend on Thursday, winning 14 of 20 at the dot, which helped propel the Catamounts to the America East finals against Albany is who they're going to face. Stony Brook, they controlled a good portion of this game overall, but a costly two-minute non-releasable penalty, I think it was an illegal body check, resulted in Vermont scoring three goals over a minute and eight seconds, about halfway, a little over halfway through the third quarter, and that flipped this game on its head and allowed Vermont to get their first lead. And then they never look back. I say they never look back. They exchange some goals here and there and, uh, but they end up pulling the win out. Uh, David Klosterman and Mike McCormick each tallied three goals. Liam Lamogues, he goes for two goals in addition. I can't leave out Thomas McConvey. He handed out three helpers for Vermont. So Vermont, they, they struggled. They had a couple of losses there, that one or two, one or two losses there in the middle where it was like, Ooh, maybe Vermont isn't as good as people thought. And then they've just won out ever since. So that's huge. Both keepers also played great, but it was Vermont's Ryan Cornell that got the win with his 15 saves, 68% between the pipes is necessary when the opposing goalie, Anthony Palma, posted uh, 16 stops. But good job for Cornell. He uh, he ends up with a slightly better save percentage in this one. His team wins the game. So they will go on to face Albany, who defeated UMBC in the other America East semifinal. Albany appeared to have the game in hand. They jumped out to a early seven-goal lead, but UMBC, they battled back, tied the game up with 10 minutes to play, forcing Albany to dig down deep to pull this one out. Corey Yunker, he scored the eventual game winner with 2.37 to play in the game, and Ron John scored the dagger a little over a minute later as the clock ticked below 10 seconds, as the shot clock ticked down below 10 seconds. It was a one-goal lead. We're starting to get down to a little over a minute to play. Shot clock is ticking down on Albany. It gets it literally. I hear the guy say, "Shot clock's at ten seconds." Ron John ducks underneath down that left alley, scores a lefty goal, brings it back into his left hand, scores a lefty goal. That's the dagger. That's the ball game. Very painful for UMBC because now they're going to have to watch the America East Finals be played at their place while they watch, and they are done. I, I don't think there's a chance that UMBC is going to end up pulling an at-large bid out after losing in their semifinals with teams like Albany still in the mix and Vermont still in the mix. I think this is a two-bid conference at best, and I think both of the teams that lost here in the semis are now sunk. Vermont, they've got – so it's Vermont-Albany in the finals. Vermont has a pair of two-goal wins over Albany this season. A key for Albany is going to be be to either neutralize Burke at the dot – or clear the ball perfectly. Burke, Albany hasn't done poorly against Burke. I forget who Albany's faceoff guy is, but he he handled his business in the in the area of 40-45%. So they're going to try to neutralize Burke. If they can keep Burke in that region, only let Burke win 55-60% to 60% of these draws, then clear the ball perfectly. You can have Liam Donnelly maybe stand on his head, steal a couple of possessions away by making huge saves. That's going to be key for Albany, and they will need that to be able to win this game. What we have seen here, I think, in through all of these first four games that I've talked about, is the team that won the draws won the game. Maryland, Justin Shockey had a great game. I don't even think I talked about that. I think I skipped over my note where I talked about Justin Shockey. 
for Maryland. Let's see here. Yeah, Shockey won 14 of 22 possessions. So I did say that, I think. Um, Naruski for Hopkins. I might have skipped that note. Naruski, he won 18 of 23 at the faceoff dot for Hopkins. They win their game. Uh, Hofstra Delaware didn't throw out any Facebook stats in that one. UMass Drexel, I didn't in that one either, but definitely Vermont won out and Albany won out in terms of the faceoff dot, and both of them won game. So win faceoffs late in the season, you've got a really good chance of winning your games, especially as, it, as we hit playoff time. Now we get into the games from the night before. We've got Navy and Loyola doing battle in the, uh, I think those were the quarterfinals for the Patriot League that were played on Wednesday. Aiden Olmstead led the way with a six-point evening. The first uh, the first team All-Patriot League attackman scored five goals, while Kevin Lindley, Evan James, and Dan Wigley contributed two apiece. Bailey Savio, he won 21 of 28 draws. Once again, winning faceoffs, you win games in the playoffs. Grabbed a team-best 11 ground balls as well for Savio, and then Sam Schaefer and Cage made nine saves for the Greyhounds. Loyola, in this one, I, got, I pulled this stat from Lacrosse Reference, my favorite uh, lacrosse stat uh, site by far lacrossereference.com or you can get pro.lacrossereference.com pay pay up don't be a cheap ass and you get yourself some crazy analytics to look at I haven't used them as much as I would would have wanted to this year but they're still really handy to have Loyola they possessed the ball 63% of this game per lacrosse reference thanks to Bailey Savio thanks to clearing the ball well thanks to riding the ball well just too much overall for Navy disappointing for Navy but Navy all of the, the military academies were playing a little bit handicapped this year due to them not being able to keep any players for that extra season. So it, it, I think that all of the academies actually did a really good job. All of the academies made their conference tournaments. So hats off to Navy for making the conference tournament in a tough year in terms of roster strength for them. But good job. We ditch. We ditched the Patriot. I'm going to talk about the other Patriot game Patriot League game here a little bit. Uh, LIU 11, St. Joe's 19. So we've got some NEC action to talk about. That all went down on Wednesday. St. Joe's, they stretched the lead in this one, set a program record for goals and advanced for the fourth time to the NEC championship game where they will face Bryant. St. Joe's, their offense, it flowed well. Overall, they dodged well. They won matchup matchups. They drew slides. They shared the ball. They're going to be a very tough draw for Bryant in the championship. St. Joe's beat Bryant by a goal, 14-13 in their last meeting. Late game stand on defense that stopped Bryant from uh, uh, tying things up late in that one. So that was a dogfight right down to the very end. Uh, things were tied up in this one at sixes before the Hawks went on a four-goal run to end the first half, extending their lead to 10-6, to and then they never looked back after that. Zach Cole goes 23 of 32 from the faceoff dot. You see this trend developing. Playoff time, possessions are important, and the teams that win more possessions typically win the ball games. And if they don't, there will be a very clear stat that would indicate why. It might be goalie saves. It might be perfect clearing the ball. It might be that they they offset the losses at the faceoff dot with forcing turnovers in the ride game. You name it. There's ways to overcome that discrepancy, but you know, once you once you lose those the 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 easy way to get a possession is to win it at the dot if you have a good faceoff guy. It's a lot harder to overcome those possession disparities in other areas of the field. So Zach Cole, 23 of 32 from the dot for uh St. Joe's. That's huge. Patrick Clemens, three ground balls Three caused turnovers on defense for St. Joe's. Evan Campbell, a goal and five helpers. Ryan Doran and Matt uh, Tufano each went three and three for St. Joe's. Richie La, 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 La Calandra, 
was held to just a goal for LIU. That's a, that's gonna that was key in that victory. As St. Joe's did a great job of just slowing down that LIU offense. Big Will Snelders, Big Cat went for four goals in the loss, and now St. Joe's will advance to play Bryant, that won the other semifinal game in the NEC against Hobart. Player of the game nod in this game goes to Bryant goalie Luke. And I always screw this kid's name up. I'm going to do my best again. I'm going to say it's Caraciolo. Or maybe it's Saraciolo or Caraciolo. Either way, he made 17 saves in the win and played really tough in the first half as well as towards the end of the game. He had some key moments where he he made some really big saves that helped keep this game going the way that Bryant wanted it to. Bryant, uh, they lose a close game in their last meeting against Hobart, but this time... They hold on for the W. They get revenge. The NEC has been a very exciting conference, actually, this year with all of the teams taking turns beating each other up. For Bryant, Bennett Abladian, five goals. Aiden Goltz, three goals. I keep saying all year long that Bryant has some dudes that have some really hard-to-pronounce names, really odd, oddly spelled names. They uh, both played beyond their freshman label. Abladian and Goltz are both freshmen. They combined for eight goals in this one. Mark O'Rourke, who battled injury earlier in the season, he had four goals in this game for Bryant. There were 10 goals scored over the fourth quarter, with Hobart bringing it to within one goal five different times. Like, so this was just a, an absolute dogfight, and Hobart refused to give up. So, you know, congrats or hats off, I should say, to the Statesman for playing tough. Five times a Bryant freshman responded when Hobart got close by scoring a goal of their own. Abladian answered the bell three of those times, and then Goltz, including the dagger, with under a minute left. So Bryant... Every time Hobart would try to get tight again, Bryant, one of their freshmen, came up big and scored a goal. That's that's good for Bryant this season and moving forward. Hard-fought win overall for Bryant. They went uh, – and actually, Bryant, I, one, one of the things I like to see as I kind of watched uh, the game quickly, like cycling through it, was Bryant dodged hard. Their dudes went to the rack hard. And they, they dodged with a vengeance, and that ended up paying off for them. St. Joe's is a much tougher defensive draw, though, than Harvard is, Har- Hobart is. They were efficient against Hobart overall offensively, but they need to make sure they handle their business in the middle of the field to keep the possession battle more level than LIU did. And that doesn't look good. That doesn't look good because Coke went 20 for 22 versus Bryant in their last meeting for the Hawks, and the Hawks won by a margin in that. So the faceoff dot, Bryant got absolutely massacred by St. Joe's in their last meeting, and they're going to want to make sure that doesn't happen again. We move on now to the um, SOCON. SOCON games were played on Wednesday. Air Force and Richmond did battle. Air Force beat Richmond by a goal just a handful of days ago. Not Maybe not even a handful. We might be talking four days ago. Might be five. I guess that would be the handful. But uh, I don't even know. Oh, but the Spiders, they exacted revenge here in this semifinal matchup against Richmond, they, or against Air Force. They went 11-6. to six. Ryan Lanchberry, he goes for two goals and three helpers. Richie Connell, four goals. Paced, uh, they both paced Richmond in this big semifinal win. Richmond, they go up early and then just controlled the game throughout. Air Force, give them credit. They didn't go away. They, they kept chipping away and didn't let it get too ugly. But, you know, Richmond is just really good. Connell had a relatively slow start for Richmond this season. But these last couple of games, let's see here. What was I saying? Connell, uh, yeah, he had a slow start. He had a nine goal output or a nine point output against Bellerman, but he he wasn't scoring. He was scoring a goal here, two there. But over Richmond's last four games, Connell has scored seventeen goals with two helpers. So Richie Connell is playing really well at the right time here for Richmond, and that's going to make that's probably going to be a really bad 
bad thing for High Point come the finals in this tournament. Um, cause when, when, because generally when Richmond, uh, when Connell plays well, Richmond does well as well, except for against Air Force. Connell had a big game against Air Force over these last four, and they still lost that one. I think he had like five goals or five points or something like that. So Richmond, very tough draw for High Point. Richmond handled High Point in their first meeting. I like Richmond to do it again. I think it might be a little bit tighter. I think High Point's playing a little bit better offensively, but I think High Point is still just a poor defensive team, and that's going to end up hurting them. They they get to face Richmond in that final, though, thanks to beating Jacksonville 11-9. Once again, High Point controlled this game from the outset. It wasn't as close as the score indicated. Uh, at one point, they had a 7-1 lead, and I kind of stopped paying attention at that point. But Jacksonville, credit to them again. They didn't give up, and that's what you see when you get to the point where you're in your conference tournaments. You're going to see some teams get beat by margins, but more often than not, those games will still be hard-fought games. And And Jacksonville did a valiant effort here trying to stay in this one and trying to battle back after having a very poor start overall. Parker Green. He had a solid outing in cage, making 12 stops for high point. Asher Nolting, he goes for just a goal and three helpers. Braden Maia, he puts up three goals for high point. That was huge against their most. Now they got to play their most hated rival, though, in Richmond, and we'll see how that all pans out for them. Now let's get into, we had a couple other games that I didn't talk about yet. One of them was the Georgetown-Villanova semifinal. Georgetowns I didn't end up seeing this one. So I'm not going to talk about it a lot outside of Villanova, man. They're done now. I mean, it's it's over for them, but they did a great job battling back. They got whooped by Georgetown early in the season, got beat up by a couple of teams here. I think even Denver might have handled them a little bit, but the, their, the second half, usually Villanova has a really good first half of their season, and then they falter down the stretch. This year, it was the flip. It was Villanova had a tough start to their season, but they played as good as anyone down the stretch. So they're done now, but hey, hats off to them for playing tough in this one. For Georgetown, uh, TJ Haley went 1-4, and four, Dylan McDermott 3-1, and one, Nikki Pekovic to transfer from Colgate, he goes for three goals, Graham Bundy Jr. 2-1, and one. Caraway held the 2-1, and one, but it didn't matter because Georgetown, they got scoring up and down their roster. Keegan Kahn for Villanova, he goes for five goals in this loss here. What did I just crunch? Oh, it was my charger here. So they went, it was, it was a pretty exciting game overall though, but you know, Owen McElroy, 17 saves in cage and Will Vitone for Villanova did not have a good day. So that ends up being the big, the big difference in this game is that Owen McElroy stood on his head and Will Vitone didn't. And all of that at the faceoff dot, you know, yeah, Georgetown handled their business. James Riley, 17 and 29. So Georgetown, that's a big win for them. They are going to now have to face their rival here in Denver. Uh, I lost the Denver game here. Where did that go? Denver handled Providence pretty handily. Handled Providence handily. I don't think I'm supposed to say it like that. They win 14-5. Ethan Walker, 4-3. and three. Jackson Morrill, 3-4. and four. Simmons, 2-1. and one. You know, right down the roster, they played well. Jack Hanna only had a goal off 12 shots. Jack Hanna has shot the ball poorly. I predict we get in the NCAA tournament, and Jack Hanna does not shoot the ball poorly, and that's going to make Denver much more formidable. Denver's going to have a hard time winning against a good team in the tournament, though, if Jack Hanna is shooting 1 for 12 in a game. That's not normally going to be a, a very good thing for them. Denver at the faceoff dot, not what you would think overall. I would have expected them to just murder Providence at the faceoff dot. They didn't. Erlin, he just goes 6 of 12. Stathakis, 5 of 9. So Denver, 
it, it, it is the case still that Notre Dame's face-off duo is far more formidable than anyone else in the country in terms of having two face-off guys that win regularly. Erlen and Stathakis have proven they've, they've gotten beat a couple of times. So there are ways to do better at the dot against Denver than what most people would have thought having Erlen come in and Stathakis. Come playoff time, though, it's going to be scary because you're still always nervous going into that game with what they may do. But yeah, they didn't they didn't dominate it there and they still win that game by a, a lot. One key here for Denver is Jack Thompson and Cage has been playing much better. He has 11 saves and only gives up four goals in this game and over his last bunch of games here, he has been really solid. I mean, granted they've been playing some big east opponents, but against Georgetown in their first meeting, he was 63% between the pipes. Providence the last time 56%, Marquette 62%, Villanova 57%, Georgetown the second time 58%. Um and then against Villanova 67% against yeah, you know, I mean the kid's been lights out. Thompson was you know, last year he was a little shaky, I thought at times, and I thought he was actually maybe even you could almost call him a weakness on that defense. This year he has played tough more often than not, has been a strength for Denver, and that's going to be big for them as we get down into the NCAA tournament. Because I think Denver gets an at-large. I think that Denver could lose this tournament here, and I think they'll still get an at-large bid. Uh, what game did I forget to talk about from Wednesday? Or maybe even have been from Tuesday. Colgate. Wanted to talk about Colgate and Boston U. Colgate beats Boston. Colgate's three and six, or they were three and five coming into this game. They beat Boston U eleven and eight to advance to the Patriot League semis. And I don't even know. I, I'm, I'm gonna apologize. I'll have to go through the schedule here right after because I don't know who they play after. But man, that's a big one. Brian uh, Minicus Minicus. I don't know how to pronounce that. Two and three for Colgate. Adam Salvaggio. Three goals for Colgate. I mean, they just had a great outing in this one to advance to the semis here. Their goalkeeper, Sean Collins, is part of the reason. He has 13 saves on the day and at the faceoff dot. They did okay. Thomas uh, Colucci, or Colucci, 16 of 22 for Colgate. So that ends up being the win there between goalkeeping play, facing off, and then just playing tough overall. Colgate gets that win in that one. Now, let us get to the schedule. I think I'll just be able to go to the scoreboard. Nope, we're going to have to go to the calendar. So let's go to the calendar. Uh, we'll look at today's. Yeah, we're going to go to the calendar. All right, so Friday, today's games. We've got a bunch of games here. We've got the uh, we got Mount St. Mary's playing Wagner in the MAC tournament. And I didn't talk about those, and I'm sorry. I don't have time to talk about it again here, but I will talk about that game in Sunday's show or Monday's show when we do all the recaps. We'll talk about all the tournaments. So we have Mount St. Mary's playing Wagner. We have Richmond playing High Point in the SoCon Finals. We have Lehigh tonight playing Colgate in one of the Patriot League semifinals. Cuse plays a non-conference against Robert Morris, but it is a huge game for Cuse. For Cuse, pretty much win and they're in. I think Cuse beats Robert Morris. They will get an at-large bid. You look at Cuse's losses. Yes, they've lost badly to North Carolina, Notre Dame twice, embarrassingly so. Uh, and then they lost that game to Ar Army. But beyond that, I mean, they've got they've lost close one to Duke, so their five losses are all to teams that are in the top ten. And then beyond that, they've beat all of the America East teams they faced. I think they beat Stony Brook, Vermont, and Albany all at one point that were ranked. I think they get this win over Robert Morris. That's a good win for him as well. So if they lose this game, though, they're sitting at six and six. 
maybe they're not one of the teams that get that at large. I still think at six and six, they're better than almost every other team that they would be competing against an at, an at large bid for, but the committee might not see it that way. So this is kind of a must win game. Not even kind of, this is a must win game for Syracuse. They have to prove that the ACC really is better. Syracuse has the ACC's only non-conference loss uh, this year to Army. I think the ACC was like 33 and one. At some point, they might be like 34 or 35 and one right now against non-conference foes. So Syracuse wants to keep that trend going, get another non-conference win for the ACC, and they'll be good. We also have Army and Loyola tonight. So those are the big games tonight are Richmond and High Point, Army Loyola in terms of tournament play for the Patriot League, and then Syracuse with that non-conference game against Robert Morris. Saturday's games, as they're lined up so far, are St. Joseph's against Bryant in the NEC final. And then we have Manhattan and Monmouth playing a game also on Saturday for the um, for the MAC. So the MAC, I don't know, man. This is just crazy. What a crazy season so far it's been in college across. And we don't have any games set up yet for Sunday because we got to see who wins uh, today and all that crap. So that's the show. I am going to bump Sunday show, just like I wanted to bump this show because I could have talked about the games earlier. But then what if I had done the show on Wednesday, what would have happened is I did a show on Wednesday and then I uh, wouldn't have done another show until Sunday. And there would have been like just a ton of games to talk about. And I wouldn't have been able to talk about them in as much depth. So I wanted to bump Wednesday show to today so that I could get all of these semifinals, quarterfinals and semifinals games in. And then I'm going to bump Sunday show to Monday because there will be games played on Sunday as well. I think there's games played on Sunday. I'll do this. If there is no games played on Sunday, I'll throw out and Facebook, let you guys know, and I'll just put the Sunday show out. But I think there's going to be games played on Sunday. And if there are, I'm waiting until Monday to do the show. It's Mother's Day too. I should probably not do a podcast Sunday's morning, but either way, I'm rambling now. I'm going to get the hell out of here. So that is today's show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. I will be back Sunday or Monday. Pay attention. If you don't see the Sunday show, it just means I'm waiting on Monday because we have some more games that I want to talk about on on uh, from that were played on Sunday. All that good stuff. So uh, be sure like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, share the crap out of this. That's really all I ask. Or you can go to laxfactor.com and get swag and support us that way. And that is it. I'm off on my day. I'm going to watch some cues today at the end of the day. And uh, Hoost is out.